0: our little comfortable resort and let's set out into this island and see what else it has to offer. And so sure enough, we find this moped rental place. 70-year-old man named Sylvester rented us a couple mopeds and it was pretty amazing. We cruise out of the resort and I mean literally like we pull out of the big gates and we we, we climb this hill on our little mopeds you know and i don't know what that was and we get to the top of the hill and there is this beautiful green lush pasture and there were these cliffs and these huge hills that you could stand on top of and you could see the entire island. And then over here to our left, on the left side of the road, was the beautiful Atlantic Ocean with absolutely pristine and blue and picturesque. And then we get down to the beach. The beach, y'all, it was correct coré. I, w- I mean, it was unbelievable. This perfectly pink sand that we just totally found a little coastal cove where we were by ourselves and just enjoyed the day. And we thought, this literally is paradise. And we almost missed it. We literally almost missed it. I mean, we got back that night after putting our mopeds up and we thought, giving them back to Sylvester himself, and we thought, what was that? Like, what just happened with our day? I mean, it was literally like we were almost on a different island, but we weren't. It was the same place We had just pressed in a little further and we had realized the beauty that we had the whole time, but we were missing it. And I wonder for a lot of you if that might be potentially what could happen to you this summer and your relationship with Jesus. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you just came because you heard the music was going to be killer, or you heard some shoddy was going to be here that you're interested in meeting, or maybe you heard that they used to have food here, and you're like sorely disappointed and starving right now. Like your stomach has like literally duct tape ripping off the inside of it right now because you're so hungry. I don't know what your deal is, but my guess is some of you have probably had thoughts that Christianity is just a little boring, you know? And you probably wouldn't say that out loud. You definitely wouldn't say it to your parents, but you've thought it before. You're just kind of less than thrilled with what's going on in your relationship with God. You get a little bit more excited about what's coming up in your life and what's going on this weekend and how many comments you got in the last picture you posted on the gram. Yeah, sure, like that stuff gets you excited, but maybe you're thinking that your relationship with God is just a little bit boring, and the answer, people, the answer, the answer is not for you to change your circumstances. The answer for you is to not go to another Bible study or for you to find a new group of friends or, or for you to get some new devotional. No, probably the answer is for you to do what I'm going to attempt for us to do tonight, and that's to press in a little further. That's to dig in a little deeper deeper with maybe some of the same truths that you learned, maybe for some of you as kids, maybe for some of you recently when you were in middle school or in high school or maybe when you first came to know Jesus. I want us to press into those truths and dig in and and realize that these are life-changing, wonderful truths about a gracious, amazing God who's given us life. And he says, I'm not going to count anything against you, but I'm going to give you a hope and a future and a peace. and when you begin to push in just a little further, you realize that what I've had all along, I'm now realizing is so, so satisfying. That's what I hope we do tonight, just so you know. I hope tonight is one of those nights where you go, man, I didn't hear anything brand new, but I heard something that I haven't thought about in a long time from God's word. And it is setting me on fire. It's literally Given me so much joy and satisfaction and reason to live. That could be your summer. That could be your summer. And as I thought about, hey, where should we go tonight? Brad and I were talking about what, what, what this marked idea is about that the Apostle Paul sets out. In Ephesians 1, he gives us this huge, massive idea about God, and he says, hey, look, God is amazing, and you should be uniquely marked by the Holy Spirit of God. Your life shouldn't look like everyone around you, but you should be uniquely marked. Someone should look at your life and think, wow, there's something different about that person, and the Apostle Paul actually gives us this prayer it's a huge prayer. He says, my prayer for you is not that God would change your circumstances. It's not that God would give you a new roommate or that God would put you in a new family or that God would get your mom to quit climbing up your rear. or God would give you a new boyfriend or a new girlfriend. That's not what Paul prays for you. No, he prays that you may know the riches of your inheritance, that you may know more about what you already have. And when you do that, he says, look, that that new perspective, it's going to determine your practice and it's going to teach you how to be marked. But until you have that aha, that, whoa, I've never thought about it that way, that, whoa, I've never grasped it in such a real, true way, that new perspective, your practice won't change. But when you begin to change your perspective, your practice will begin to change and you'll begin to be marked like Paul said that you were to be. So that's coming up in the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about some of the practical stuff in Ephesians that he says, hey, look, here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to live. But last week and tonight, is all about that perspective. It's all about saying, hey, look, before we start talking about what our hands are doing, we got to talk about what our heart is understanding, and in Ephesians 1, he lays out what grammatically is a nightmare. He lays out this huge, long sentence from verse 3 to verse 14 that you guys looked at last week. It's actually, Bible trivia fans out there, get your pins ready. It's the longest sentence in the Bible. Get that, huh? In case you're at a party this summer that gets a little crazy, you know? Things start coming unhinged at about midnight. You guys break out the Bible trivia. In case that happens, you're going to want to know this because this is the million-dollar question. That was actually the longest sentence in all the Bible. Paul, not a big fan of what we like to call the punctuation, okay? He just went on and on and on. But thematically, it's actually beautiful. And then in Ephesians 2, which we're going to look at tonight, verses 1 through 7, it's another long sentence, just one long, continuous, massive thought about our God. And for a lot of you, it's not anything new, but I'm praying that we'll press into it, that we'll dig into it and say, God, help me to realize what it is that I already have. What is it that I already possess? And if that happens to us tonight, we will count it as an amazing night. If that happens to you this summer, I'm telling you, you will never be more grateful than you will be after a summer like that. Look, there's one thing we could do. We could pray that God would change your circumstances. I know some of you might not like your circumstances, but to be quite honest with you, I would rather you have difficult circumstances and grasp the gospel of Jesus than to have awesome, wonderful circumstances where you and your homies are going to Six Flags every single day of the summer, but where you miss the gospel, where you miss Jesus Because I'm telling you, you'll have more fulfillment and more joy and more contentment in the circumstances that you might not like if God allows our eyes to be just a little bit more open to what he's going to throw at us tonight. Because this long sentence in Ephesians 2, I'm telling you, it is powerful, it's huge, and it should be like a waterfall blowing, rushing, falling all over us. I don't know if you've ever stood under a waterfall. I haven't done that recently, okay, Uh, up in North Georgia, which is where I live. We have some waterfalls. There are some beautiful ones. You guys know about them. You're excited about the waterfalls up there, yeah. But I once made a waterfall. A couple years ago, I was speaking at this camp um, down in Panama City Beach. It's called Big Stuff. And at this camp called Big Stuff, I was, um, I I came out to say hello to everybody and, you know, get the crowd hype, you know. I was like the, the little John, you know, before, like, before little John was doing anything, you know, and so I'm coming out here on stage and they they handed me right before I come out here. They give me this T-shirt gun. They're like, dude, this would be so cool. Take this T-shirt gun out there and, and shoot it to people. And as soon as I heard that, I'm like, dude, I cannot do that. That will violate my parole, put me right back in the slammer. i got to have somebody else who's going to do this for me. And so they sent this intern, a, little, a fellow named Travis, who's a really cool dude. And I was like, Travis, you got to do this because I can't handle firearms right now in my current state. So he went out there with me, and he had this T-shirt gun. And so he was like, you know pounded the crowd over here to the right and then he sent one to the left and I'm like dude see if you can get it off. you know there's like the the band's like rocking behind us no one can hear and I'm like dude see if you can get it to the back of the wall you know and so he takes that t-shirt gun and he like I don't know if you can fire it up but he did and he just blasted it and the thing went straight up into the air and it hit something in the ceiling I didn't really know what it was all I saw was what I was just staring at the ceiling and it looked like just dust just tons of dust falling down on the crowd And so my eyes adjusted from the ceiling down to the people, all right, which is a good thing to do when you're working with people. And so I looked down at the people and there is a massive section of the crowd that is getting completely doused, like 150 PSI pressured sulfuric water that was now coming out of a fire alarm sprinkler that had been busted by Trav Dog and his t-shirt gun. And me, like the big positive idiot that I am, I'm like, oh my goodness, I am so sorry about, look, hey, and so I go to this section, I'm like, Hey, we're just going to keep on going, all right? So the band's going to come out here and they're going to play. Meanwhile, they're getting doused with water. And I'm like trying to move the program along, you know, because I didn't know what to do with these people. So finally, they had to shut the whole thing down. They sent us all out of the room. We had to basically reimburse this entire section of people with brand new clothes and new watches and some new kickstands and all kinds of new stuff that they needed to get their life back together after the massive waterfall had completely ruined their life. But this passage in Ephesians 2 that we're going to look at, this isn't a waterfall that you're going to be worried about standing under, but it's actually a beautiful, amazing, like knock you back. Like, are you kidding me? Could that really be true story about your life and about my life? But it's really it's really about God. It's really a story about what God has done on our behalf. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, it's totally fine. We're going to put these scriptures up on the screen, these thousand-year-old scriptures that people in the church have preserved for us, which is pretty beautiful. In Ephesians 2, he says this. He says, look, I've just told you about Jesus, and I've told you about how I want you to be marked by the Holy Spirit who came when Jesus went to heaven. And he said, but now I want to turn the attention, I want to turn it to you for just a bit. So this is for you and for me. And he looks at the people in Ephesians. He didn't look at them. He was writing this letter, but he pins it with them in mind. And he says, look, as for you, you were dead. Can everybody say that word, dead? Dead dead. That's awesome. That was really, thank you, because they didn't participate quite like you did, but I wouldn't expect that out of them because they're not on the front row like you guys are. But yes, dead. He says, as for you, you were dead. That's a really big deal. He says, look, you weren't handicapped. You weren't in trouble. You weren't asleep. You were dead. That's a really big deal. You know what this word means in Greek? Anybody want to guess? It means dead. Yeah, that's exactly right. It means that you were dead. You're lifeless. You had no life. You know what dead people do when they're dead? They do nothing. Have you ever heard the phrase that God helps those who help themselves? Have you ever heard that? A lot of people say, oh, that's so good, man. You ought to put that on a Hallmark card. Hallmark card. What's a Hallmark card? You should put it on a Hallmark card and give it to your mom for Mother's Day or something. You know, She's like, hey, mom, God helps those who helps yourself. You know, Maybe when you graduated from high school, people gave you that. They're like, dude, really, seriously, God helps those that helps themselves. The truth is that's not very biblical. Because what Paul jumps right out and says, he says, as for you, you were dead. And you know what dead people can't do? They can't help themselves. Like literally, you were helpless, hopeless, dead. And you couldn't help yourself. You were dead. You were literally, the verb here is like a present, continuing, in a state of deadness. Like you were walking around, he's going to say in a second, he says, you were walking around dead. It was like you were alive. Yeah, I mean, you had come through the canal and you were living and breathing, but you were walking around dead. Alive, but dead, lifeless. He says this, he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and in your sin. In your transgressions, all the things that you've ever done wrong, your sin. You want to know what sin is? This is not fun to talk about, but let me just give you a quick, easy definition, just some categories for you to think about it with, you know, think about it in terms of. Sin is basically all those evil thoughts that you've ever thought of. You know, ladies, this is going to be hard for you because you ladies are so perfect and you probably don't have evil thoughts about girls being too skinny or where they got that so cheaply or why their nails look so bad or why they're so broken with crooked teeth or whatever you ladies probably don't think. But I know you fellas, like imagine this dudes, if you walked around with like this massive little screen on your forehead and everybody could see the thoughts that went through your mind at all times. Some of you just threw up in your mouth just thinking about that, you know. Like some of you are like, are we going to pass out hand sanitizer at this point because it feels disgusting to think about that? Because I, I know, because I'm a fella, I'm a dude, I, I, I know what some of you dudes walk around thinking about. The Apostle Paul says you were dead in your transgressions and your sin. All those thoughts that you had, you were dead. He says, you were dead in your sin, not just your thoughts, but in your words. Have you ever said something that you wish you hadn't said? You ever cussed at somebody? You ever, you ever yelled at somebody out of anger? You ever cut somebody down? You ever belittled someone? You ever talked back to your mom? You ever said something stupid to a friend to try to be cool, but really it was really hurtful? He says, yeah, your thoughts and your words, everything you've ever said that was wrong that you wish you hadn't said. He said, that's, that's sin, and sin caused you to be dead. Then he says, not just your thoughts, not just your words, but also your deeds, like the things that you did that you shouldn't have done. The things that you didn't do that you should have done. Both of those, he says, they all caused you to be dead. You were, I was dead in my transgressions and my sin. That's important for us. To just start there, because that's where he starts. He says, look, to understand the magnitude and the majesty of what God did for us, you have to see it on the backdrop of your sin. We're going to look at the cross in a second. And the cross is amazing when you just look at it. But when you look at it against the backdrop of how nasty and crooked and perverted and demented and broken we are, it's seen as even more beautiful. And that's why he starts there. He's like, look, you got to get this you got to get the fact that you were walking around dead. Here's the way he says it. He says, you were walking around dead in your transgressions and your sin, in, which the, in the ways in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of air and the spirit who's now at work and those who are disobedient. So he actually said, look, there is someone called Satan, all right? And that's crazy to think about. Like there's, there's one really bad way to think about Satan, and that's to think there's a devil behind every door. We don't do that here. But another terrible way to live, a terrible way to read the Bible is to not admit the fact that there is an enemy, that there is someone who is working against you. And Paul says there was a day when you were dead because of your sin and your transgressions and the ruler, the commander-in-chief in your life was Satan. And some of you are like, ah, that's kind of weird, dude. I've never really put Satan in charge of anything. Well, Paul says when you walked around, when you walked around lifeless, without a relationship with Jesus, you were being led around by Satan. I'm only telling you that because that's what he says here. And then he says, all of us, we also lived among them at one time, and we gratified these cravings of our sinful nature, and we followed their desires and their thoughts. Have you ever seen that in somebody? you ever seen somebody in college who, or, or, who's just gratifying every desire they have? Like, they're just looking for thing after thing after thing to pleasure themselves, just whatever's next. Just a Thursday night binger, a Friday night crazy time, a Saturday night ripper, just looking for the next thing, going, i got to find the next sinful thing. The next crazy time with a girl, crazy time with a dude, the next, the next drug, the next whatever it is that I think going to please me. Paul says, that's really the way all of us were. You might be a Boy scout. Three hand, three fingers, two fingers. You might be like a pretty good person, but Paul says, still, you were selfish and you were just trying to pleasure, trying to please yourself. That's the way we were. We were dead. And he says, look, like the rest, like the rest of them, we were objects of God's wrath. Can everybody say wrath? wrath? Yeah, let's just say it like with like a satanic voice, you know, it's like the devilish voice that you can come up with. Can you try it? Wrath. Yeah, that's awesome. These guys over here are really good at that. That's perfect. He says, look, we were objects of God's wrath. That's kind of crazy to think about. We were objects. Have you ever thought about somebody being an object of someone's wrath? There's a new story that I brought that I wanted to tell you guys about. Check this out. This is out of Texas, of course. Shout out to you, Crowder. A Texas story right here. I don't know if you saw this headline, but this is beautiful. This is in Yoakum, Texas. I'll just read it to you. All right. Nope, oh, I got a new email. Let me turn that off. <laughs> In Yoakum, Texas, a furious Texas father... This is unbelievable. A furious Texas father was waiting Monday to find out whether he would face charges for beating a man to death after he caught him sexually assaulting his young daughter. The man was tending to his horses near Yoakum, 75 miles south of Austin, when he discovered his four-year-old daughter being abused by a 47-year-old man. None of those involved have been identified. He beat the man to death because this man was abusing his daughters. The Texas father who said he witnessed the four-year-old daughter being molested beat her alleged attacker to death with, with, with repeated punches to the head, the police said on Monday. He was remorseful, and the police, they didn't arrest the father, and they didn't press any charges against the father because they said, well, that makes sense. This man walks in, his four-year-old daughter is being molested by another man, and out of anger, he punches the man in the face until the man dies. You know what that's called? That's called wrath. And some people, in fact, these authorities in Texas... They said that was deserved wrath, that that was appropriate wrath, that not all wrath is bad wrath. They said that's appropriate. They said we're not going to arrest the man, we're not going to press charges. They said that if we walked in, God forbid, and someone was abusing your four-year-old daughter, they said it would be very appropriate for you to beat that man to death. That's kind of crazy. Does that disturb you at all in a weird way? Like, I really don't know what to think about it, honestly. Like, part of me, on one hand, I'm like, man, I better stay out of Texas, you know, that place is crazy, you know. And on one hand, I'm thinking, I I get that, like I understand that, I can understand the man's anger, I can understand the man's wrath, I can understand how the man would feel like that was justified to do that. But on the other hand, there's another side of me that thinks, I mean, let's be honest, we live in a broken, messed up world, and the chances are that that man who abused that four-year-old child Do you think it was completely his fault? I mean, yeah, he made a horrible choice. He made a horrible decision in that moment. But what are the chances of the fact that that man was himself abused as a child? Probably pretty strong. I mean, they say that most people that abuse have been abused themselves. And I'm not saying that's an excuse for the guy. I'm just saying I don't know if that deserves death. And then you think about the fact that the person that abused that man, chances are he also was abused. Then you think about the fact that chances are that the, that person who was abused, they were probably beat by their parent or by a stepdad or by somebody who wasn't even a father figure or a mother figure in their life. And then you think about, well, that person, they probably had some kind of crazy thing happen in their life. Like maybe they were in a foster home or maybe they were, you know, given to some parents that didn't take care of them or didn't feed them or mess. I mean, you can trace it all the way back and you think, we live in a messed up, broken world. Just because someone does something so horrible like that, does that deserve death? Does that deserve the wrath of death? I don't know. Paul tells us in another part of Scripture, he says, he says that the wages of sin, he says the punishment for sin is what? It's death. He, he says it's death. He says that when you and I, when we commit sins, that we don't commit sins against each other necessarily, but we commit them against God. And because of that, we are deserving of the wrath of God. Now, usually when you're thinking about wrath, when you're thinking about punishment, punishment towards someone is usually proportionate to the crime. So some of you are thinking, really, like, do I deserve death? Well, it's not like you just offended another human. You, def- you offended the Lord Almighty, God himself. See, if you were to come up to me on the street, and you were to just punch me in the face, you know, that'd be really weird, but it's happened before, like, you know, just last week, somebody did that, it's crazy. So you can just imagine, like, if you just ran up to me, you're just like, oh my goodness, I'm just gonna punch that dude in the face, you know, and you did that. Like, I could press charges, you know, and they might give you, like, simple battery or something, they might release you, and wouldn't be that big of a deal. But if Barack Obama came to Atlanta, you know, and he were doing a tour of the city of Atlanta and he was speaking somewhere and you somehow like zigzagged your way like ninja style, like you were invisible through the Secret Service and you ran up to President Obama and you punched him in the face, they probably wouldn't release you on a simple battery. You know what I'm saying? Like you would be locked up. You would be mailed to some deserted island somewhere because the crime that you committed was proportionate to the one that you committed it against. You committed against me? No big deal. You committed against the President of the United States? They're going to be taking it a little more seriously. And the same thing is true about God. In Psalm 51, David wrote, he says, Against you only, God, against you only, Lord, have I sinned. your sin violated the the righteousness of a perfect God. And Paul says, because of that, you and I were deserving of God's wrath. That God's wrath, the death that was on you, was legitimate, it was right, it was deserved. God said, that's how serious I take sin. that it deserves death. It deserves the wrath of God. And if you're feeling right now kind of like, man, that sucks. That's an appropriate feeling. If you're thinking, I don't know what to do about that or I don't know how to repay that. I wish I could do something about that. I wish I hadn't come tonight. I wish they'd let the band get back up there and play some more songs. Mood's kind of gotten like, dreary and depressing, then you're you're feeling it. You're feeling what the Apostle Paul meant for us to feel, I think. Because I think he meant for us to go, wow, that puts us in a pretty rough position. And then he says, but let me tell you about something that's amazing that happened on your behalf. He says, but because of God's great love for us, Because of his great love for us, even though we had committed sins against a perfect righteous God, God looked on your life and he says, I'm not mad at you. I'm not going to take this out on you. I'm not going to try to pay you back. But I am going to do something. I'm going to do the unthinkable to win you back. And God himself came and rescued us in the form of His Son, Jesus, motivated by His great love for us. Because God is rich in mercy, because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, you know what it means to be rich in mercy? Some of you are like, I don't know what it means to be rich, period. All right, let me just, I don't either, I can just imagine, I think we all can. We all know rich people. I heard somebody say one time, I thought this is pretty awesome, but you know what happens when rich people go to the bank? You know it's always there. Money, yeah, because they're loaded, the rich. Rich people go to the bank, and it's like, hey, I need some more money. And they're like, oh, yes, sir, absolutely. didn't realize it was you. We'll get you your money right now. The Apostle Paul says that when God goes to the bank, you know what he finds every time? Mercy. For you, for me. He says, I don't find anger. I don't find payback. I don't find retribution. But I find Mercy. For you, because I love you. God, the king of creation, the author of life, looks at you and says, I love you. And I'm not going to make, make you pay me back because you can't. But I'm going to win you back with my son. But God, motivated by his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, he made us alive. Can everybody say Alive. God made you alive. You were dead, but God made you alive in His Son Jesus, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Paul says it's by grace that you've been saved. You know what grace is? Grace is a gift that God gives us. He says, Look, you don't deserve it, you deserve wrath but I'm going to take all my wrath, I'm going to take all the wrath of generations after generations of child abusers. I'm going to take all the wrath of generations after generations of of people who have raped, of people who have have committed the worst treasons, people who have betrayed friends, people who have been awful to their parents, people who have committed completely heinous acts towards other humans. He says, look, I'm going to take all of that And I'm going to put that wrath, that that is due, I'm going to put that on my son, Jesus. So that you and I can have a relationship with our God. God says, that's what I'm going to do for you. Motivated by love, being rich in mercy. And it's by grace you've been saved. He says, I'm going to give you this gift. This gift is that I'm going to make you alive. That you're alive. That I'm going to give you hope. I'm going to make you alive. I'm going to give you life. Put breath in your lungs. Allow you to walk again. Allow you to get up again. Those moments when you feel like you've been beat down and beat up and you don't know where to turn, God says, you can stand up again by grace because I'm giving it to you. And then God did something amazing. He didn't make us just wallow in our sin, But he says, hey, look, I'm going to raise you up with Christ and I'm going to seat you in the heavenly realms next to Jesus so that, and he does this all for a purpose. This is amazing. This is what we sang about tonight. He said, I'm going to do this all for a purpose, for my glory. I'm going to do this so that generations and generations can see the incomparable riches of my grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God says, I'm going to give you this grace for a reason, not for you. It's not for your sake. It's for God because this is God's story. It's not about you. You're not going to get to heaven and God's going to go like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad you're here. Way to go. You did it. No, he's going to say, there he is. It's my son. And he did it for you. And nobody up there is going to be singing your praises, singing my praises. But we're going to say, where's the one who rescued us? Where's the one who came back to get us? That didn't leave us in our state but gave us grace. Then he says in verse 8, maybe you've heard this before. He says, For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift of God. And it's not by works, so that nobody can boast. He says, You don't boast about a gift that somebody gave you. No, you do two things. You accept the gift, and then you celebrate the giver. We got little kids and we're trying to teach them to do that right now. Hey, when somebody gives you a gift, you accept the gift and then you celebrate the giver. That's what you do. You don't have to accept the gift. This is really cool. God doesn't force it down your throat. He doesn't make you take it. Some of you tonight, you might be going, I don't know that I'm ready to accept this gift. But there's some of you going, man, I've done this before, but I need to do that again tonight. I need to accept this gift. And then I need to celebrate the giver. I don't celebrate the gift. I don't celebrate me being the recipient of the gift. No, I celebrate the one who gave the gift. That's what gift receivers do. I don't know if you ever feel kind of begrudging about your relationship with God or if you ever feel like it's just work or it's just kind of tireless and you just always feel like, I don't know, it just feels so just hard and feels like work. God's going, it doesn't have to feel like that. Because I'm giving you the opportunity to freely accept this gift. And you can change your mindset and say, when I accept a gift, I'm doing it voluntarily. I'm choosing to do this. This summer, as you grow in your relationship with Jesus, every time you open up God's word, every time you have a conversation with a friend about how amazing the incomparable riches of God's grace are, you got to remind yourself that I'm not doing this out of duty, that I'm doing this in the same joy that I would accept a gift. I'm saying, God, this is beautiful that you give me this opportunity to accept this gift. And so, God, now I want to celebrate the giver. I want to say to you, the giver, thank you. Thank you. God, I give you, I give you my life because you gave me life. I give you everything I have because you gave me everything I have. And so you don't have to wake up tomorrow going, I don't know, this feels like work. This feels like just really difficult to do. I feel like I should read the Bible and I don't want to. I feel like I should go and be kind to somebody I don't want to. I got a roommate who's just an idiot and I don't want to be nice to him. Or my mom is just so annoying. Or my stepdad's so brutal to be around. God's going, you, you don't have to do this. But I'm just telling you, out of joy, you can accept the gift. And then celebrate the giver. It's your choice. You can choose to do that. I don't know if that's freeing for you, but for me, that's a really freeing truth to know God. So you're not going to make me do this. God's going, no, 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 no. I'm not going to make you do that. You can do it on your own. And when you do, what you're going to find is there's joy there. There's not duty. It's not this like, oh, I got to go do my homework again. God's going, I'm not homework. All right. I'm the gift giver. I'm the life giver. So tonight, I want to give you that opportunity to, out of joy, not being afraid of what people around you are going to think or what somebody's going to think about you, but out of joy, you can accept God's gift and then you can live a life that celebrates the giver. You have that opportunity tonight. Nobody's going to make you do it, but by choice, you can step out and say, why wouldn't I? Why would I not celebrate the one who when I was dead in my transgressions was rich in mercy, was motivated by love, made me alive and raised me up and seats me next to the Father, gives me a relationship with my creator, gives me purpose and hope and joy and contentment, gives me a reason to live. That's a gift that's worth accepting because he's a giver who's worth celebrating. Hey, I'm praying this summer that that's what you would do. I I know I don't know a lot of you, but I'm just telling you, I can't imagine a better summer for you than if you would choose, if you would make that choice and say, God, would you not let me waste this summer? I don't want my summer to be characterized by the word, eh, you know what I'm saying? And it could be. Like, you could live for nothing this summer. Or you could say, I've got 10 weeks or 8 weeks or 6 weeks I want to do everything I can to accept this gift of grace every day this summer and to say, God, would you let me have an amazing summer celebrating the giver of life? I would imagine that's the summer that you want. When you really got to the bottom of what you want in life, I would imagine that's what you want. And I think that's what God would want for you. So let me pray for you and then we're going to sing a little bit. God, I, um, just personally, God, that's, um, that is real to me, God. I, I don't want to have a summer that's just blah. I don't want to have a, another lifeless day where I'm just going through the motions and just excited about finding something fun to do. God, I, I want to live a life that's characterized by a God who loves me, who's given his life for me allows me to stand up on my feet out of grace. God, for the student tonight that feels like, man, I don't know that I can get up. You don't know all the sin and transgressions that I've committed. Those words aren't even big enough to explain the crap that I've been through. God, I pray that you would overwhelm them by your grace tonight, that you would pour it over them like a waterfall. God, for the student tonight that's kind of thinking, man, I kind of got it going on and I don't, know that I really need this. I'm just kind of here to check it out. God, I pray then that you would break them down with the complexity, the nuances of their sin, of their brokenness, of their need for you. And God, for all of us, I pray that tonight would be a night where another time we get to accept your grace and another time, maybe for the first time, we get to celebrate the giver, the giver of life, the giver of the grace that gives us hope to live another day, to walk again. So God, we give our lives to you because you've given life to us. We give everything we have to you because you've given everything we have to us. And We pray all this in Jesus' name. Hey, you guys can stand up. We're going to sing.